Welcome to the RSP Cast Quick Game Week 16 with Mark Schofield, the place where we have an audience filled with character, and we're just a couple of characters. Mark? Two, two hosts with characters. <laughs> it's like that line from Pulp Fiction, right? No, no, no. Just because you are a character doesn't mean you have character. That's right. The wolf. Yeah. That's so right. there you go. And like we did last time, we're going to see where the hour takes us. Um, got some good questions to talk about this week. So, in week 16, man. I know. It's like flying. The season just flies. It sure does, you know. And before we get there, you know, get a rare promotional spot today because um, the RSP pre draft um, publication for 2021 is now available for a pre order in terms of like you can, you can't download it. It's not ready yet, but you can. You can purchase it for preload at, at um, pre-order at a pre-order discount of nineteen ninety-five. Um, if you've never gotten the RSP before, I can say this without any um, equivocation, you know, without you know any type of ambivalence. It is the by far the best thing that I do in this football space. So um, you know you get you get a pre-draft and post-draft package along with it for nineteen ninety-five. That also includes. Being on a newsletter from June through December, and I give you updates three times a year, ranking update as well um, from the past three draft classes. And if you're whether you're a draft Nick, um, whether you're someone who really enjoys fantasy football in terms of the dynasty space, I encourage you to check it out at mattwaltmanrsp.com. And in addition to that, if you're a fantasy player and you've been getting the RSP for a while, then you know based on the newsletter or if you're just a fantasy player who hasn't gotten it yet, I am now coming out with a complete set of dynasty rankings that will be updated several times during the year and a two-year projection package. So every player who has a roster spot in the NFL who is a skilled player in fantasy um, relevant even on a deep level or possibly has some fantasy relevance, I will do a two-year projection plan for that year. So like for 2021, I'll project their 2021 and 2022 stats along with that Dynasty Ranking Package, and that's available for $24.95. There's really no overlap in information between the two products. Um, so, you know, look at 20, look at the, the two-year projection package and rankings as kind of like just straight answers with very little commentary. If you want to know the why and how that, you know, I crazily think that Nick Chubb was better than Saquon Barkley or... I was nuts for thinking that Patrick Mahomes was a better pick than Mitchell Trubisky. Then you can, you, you know, you, you can look at the RSP publication to read the why, how, and what my process is because it's very in depth and detailed. Whereas if you're just like, I just want the answers and I don't care why you arrived at them, then you can, you know, you can get you can get the um, projection package. Either way, I think you know from the feedback that we've gotten so far this past week. Um, it's been very positive in terms of the excitement level for the new product and still seeing lots of folks. Thank you very much for uh, who just loved, you know, the, the RSP publication in itself. So um, it, this is the first year I'm doing this. Maybe in future years, if this projections package works out the way that I think it will, I will probably um, bundle them at some point for a bundle discount. Um, but this is the first year, so I'm giving it a try to see um, how this works out and how people um, like it. So. There's the promo for the week. <laughs> there you go. And look, let me just jump in there because the RSP is must read for me every year. Um, even if there are times when Matt and I don't agree on players, 
Matt does the work and all you can see the process. Um, and it's just the lift that you put in. I mean, the work is tremendous. Like you watch more film, I think, than anybody alive, and I cannot recommend it enough. Well, I really appreciate that, Mark. And, you know, obviously, you know, you see Mark's work at the RSP, you see him at so many other outlets, you know, Big Blue Review, Pat's Pulpit, you know, obviously, um, Touchdown Wire, you know, that that's, you know, it's a privilege to have Mark working and writing for me. Um, you know, at the site, and it's a privilege to have Mark here, you know, being able to do these podcasts. So we're going to, now that we've, uh, you know, that, now that we've basically backslapped each other, we're going to have some yep, fun yep, here. Yep. <laughs> out of it. So who do you think improved this year? And you cannot name Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield, because I think we've talked there that it's, it's obvious that it, at least statistically and on the field, there's been improvement with those guys. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm glad you pulled those guys out of it because I was I was gonna go right to like when I saw the first couple of words I'm like oh Josh Allen I'm gonna talk about Josh Allen all right um, I was gonna go full on Homer and say Jacoby Myers um, because I think he has made some strides as a receiver and it was all set to do that and then I sat down today and I watched Deshaun Watson against the Colts and I'm gonna say Deshaun Watson wow because how many quarterbacks right now would you take above Deshaun Watson at this point in the NFL? Two or three, maybe exactly. four, if I'm not. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, I, and I think he has made like there were always things that he did well: competitive toughness, athleticism. But if you think back to his draft process, one of the huge question marks on him was that boundary throw to the sideline, numbers in the outside. Most of his interceptions at Clemson were on the outside. He's hitting those now. Like he had a throw late in that game, um, cover three underneath the curl flat defender corner over the top, a deep out route. He was on the near hash, but still, that's a long, tough throw into a tight window. I did put it in an absolute perfect spot on a second and five with 130 left, down by seven. Like He's he's checked in so many boxes for me week in and week out. I know that they're losing. I'm working on a piece right now for Touchdown Wire on the most attractive head coaching jobs and the most attractive GM jobs, um, either that are available or we anticipate will be available. And the Texans have minimal cap space. They might have no cap space, given if it is a hard cap of $175 million. You have no draft capital. You have a culture inside that front office with Jack Easterbay, who you don't know what that situation is all about. So on from the outside looking at it, it's like, why would you want that gig? Like, it might not be easy to rebuild. Deshaun wants it. Like, that's why you want that job. So even you have all the other problems with it, Deshaun Watson makes that gig attractive to me. So I'm going to say Deshaun Watson. He's been fantastic. I love that choice. And it's funny because for the past two to three weeks, I've been talking or writing about players who, especially wide receivers, who I think would be good fits at various places based on their opportunity to really become something in a second contract or to extend their careers. Um, and, you know, I've, I did something recently on T.Y. Hilton and a video on him recently, and I thought, wow, imagine T.Y. Hilton with Deshaun Watson because um, he's so versatile and he's he's such a tough and, and just workmanlike player who who is really underrated in how good he's been. And, you know, I would love to see him there. And then I think about some boundary players like Josh Reynolds, you know, somebody like that getting an opportunity um, 
to, to shine and actually play on the perimeter, which was his strength um, at Texas A&M, and, and see him in a place with Deshaun Watson. So it's going to be fascinating to see who winds up with him. My guy is um, David Montgomery with Chicago. Watching yeah. Montgomery play, you know, when he first got into the league, you know, he got overhyped as like, you know, I think the, the fans saw like comparisons that ESPN made during college football and it was like, you know, faster than a locom, faster than a speeding limit bullet, more powerful than a locomotive yeah. kind of Superman hype type of stuff. <clears throat> and when he um, got in the league, you know, he had typical rookie growing pains. He was slow to process information. He didn't necessarily always have the, the most nuanced understanding of his blocking schemes. His footwork really wasn't strong. Like he's a guy that really lives off of jump cuts. And I'd joke around that like, his nickname from my own little personal nickname for him was like Captain Zigzag because you watch him and it's like jump cuts and jump stops everywhere zigzagging around the field. And it's really a lot of fun to watch. But, you know, even since his college days, I was always concerned that he needed to understand how to open his hips and minimize the number of steps he took to change direction. And if he could learn how to do that little trick of being able to you know, just point the toe, open the hips and get to the bound, you know, point to the boundary and get outside. He could get a lot more done as a result of, you know, on a run to run basis. And people were worried about his burst while well, watching him this year, several games this year, he's processing the field much faster because you can see he's anticipating the next um, defender as he's finishing off the first move. His, he is learning how to open his hips up and that's really good. <laughs> Sorry, I swallowed a blueberry or something <laughs> from a smoothie that I had before this show and obviously didn't all the way go down. So I'm like having a little bit of trouble here, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to choke to death. We'll be all right. Okay. So, I mean, I was yeah. do I have to reach for the phone and dial the uh, nine and one. I don't, Just I know wait? really like, yeah. Can you give me a Heimlich maneuver, you know, through the screen? <laughs> virtual Heimlich. Yeah, exactly. Okay? Virtual Heimlich. But, um, but here's the thing. Um, He's done a good job of being very efficient now, and that's allowing him to play quicker. He's seen the field better. Um, he's always been a strong player. I watched him against Detroit, and I've got some film coming out on him as well, analysis. And the fun he's so much fun to watch because when you watch a guy, even on like a one-yard gain, execute a throw-by on a linebacker who hits him and he has like no momentum, and you just watch him, you know, basically roadhouse the guy to the side and then like... You, you know, and then you watch other tape with him and he's like, the jump cuts are working well because he understands when to employ them and when not to. And he's hitting the creases um, with conviction and he's no longer questioning so much. Um, he's, I think his run of like running back to high end, running back to maybe low end running back production from a fantasy perspective, for those of you who think of him, you know, how good he is in that realm. I think he's here to stay for the next two to three years at least, um, you know, as a viable, productive starting running back in the NFL that nobody's going to be questioning. Wow. Um, is he going to have Mitchell Trubisky still handing on the ball? That's a great question, right? I mean, yeah, Mitch's, I, Mitchie's played pretty well, I guess. but He's played well the past couple of weeks, but still, I don't think he can. No. I don't know. Let me ask you this, though. A college player that you are currently fascinated with, well, you know, we started with I started with a running back. I'll I'll continue with another running back. 
Ramondre Stevenson out of Oklahoma. Um, everyone talks about Kennedy Brooks out of Oklahoma, but Ramondre Stevenson had 2,000 yards at the JUCO level, 2,000-yard um, rushing season. And watching this kid, I mean, he's like over, I think he's like between 5'10 and 6 feet. I think he's well over 230. He might be 240, 250. Um, big dude, very mobile, like really good feet. And he understands how to use his power. It's kind of in the way that, like, he he will run you over, but he can also run around you. Um, it's not that Brandon Jacobs, I don't know who I am kind of player, and I and it takes years to figure it out. This guy's like what folks probably, when they coached Brandon Jacobs, hoped that Brandon Jacobs and Devin or and Bush, the um, the the kid out of um Louisville who who played for the Raiders, um, mm-hmm. Michael Bush. He's kind of like what those two players, coaches hoped would be. He can catch the ball. He sees the field well. I think he's an exciting young prospect, and I think he's eligible. He's draft eligible right now. So I don't know if he's coming out, um, but I think he is. And so I'm, I, I'm really fascinated with him. I think he could be one of the better running backs in this class, um, which as I'm looking at it, I'm not as excited about this class as I was last year's running back class, even though last year's class may not have like been star studded in terms of performance. You, we've, I think we've seen enough from them this year to see, to know where they're heading. And this class has some good guys at the top, but losing journey Brown was like a big deal. Um, you know, and, and so a guy like Stevenson, if he ends up in the class, I think he could really make some noise. How about you, Mark? Who's a player you're fascinated with currently? There, there are two guys that, as a Patriots fan, I'm pretty sad over because I know that the Patriots are either not going to draft them or they won't get there or Bill Belichick will do something that he always does, which is trade out of the first round. Because one of these guys is a surefire first-rounder. That's Kyle Pitts, the Florida offensive <laughs> weapon. Like He's not a tight end. He's just an offensive weapon. Like, And I'm not going to spend too much time on him because, look, everybody knows who he is and how good he is. Um, on Ross St. Brown. The USC wide receiver. Um, I was studying Kendon Slovis uh, last week, um, and so I got a chance to watch a lot of USC over the past couple of years. I got a chance to watch St. Brown, and I'm very impressed with this kid. Uh, I think he's somebody that can be a versatile slot slash Z in the National Football League. I like his releases. I like his ability in space. I like his ability after the catch. I like his ability at the ball pull, at the catch point. I like what he can do with the football in his hands, both as a runner and a runner after the catch. Um, I think he's the kind of like offensive weapon, that sort of slot Z type player that teams could use like Antonio Brown. I'm not saying I'm not making a one-to-one comparison, but a guy that could be a flanker, a guy that could be a Z or a guy that you could put in the slot. If you've got guys that you like outside there, guys that are more suited to those roles, he's versatile in that way. So he's somebody that I think he's a junior. He suffered a shoulder injury in the Pac-12 championship game. I don't know if he's coming out. I'd imagine he would because he's got three solid years of film. Um, three good years of production. I'd imagine he comes out um, probably not a first-round receiver because this is going to be a very good receiver class yet again, but somebody that on day two I think can come in and instantly help a team. So, yeah, he's somebody I'm very, very interested in right now. Cool. So here's an idea I had from a um, from a football guy's column as I'm watching tape like you are, watching the NFL tape and doing you know our reviews of the week and – I've just had this idea recently that backup quarterbacks like Taysom Hill and Jalen Hurts not taking anything away from their skills because they have to have skills to be able to do this. 
But I think they, I'm starting to believe they have an inherent advantage for the first four to six weeks that they get a chance to start um, as kind of unknowns in the league as to what they can do. And I think that's because anybody who's either a, a backup of skill who can throw the ball, especially stretch the field with their arm, stay within the pocket without like losing their water, but also at the same time have the legs to exploit defenses if defenses play man-to-man um, or zone where their back gets turned to the, to the, the uh, quarterback, that they're going to perform well and they're going to look as good or better than the starter for a limited period of time or the incumbent that was there. And it's because as much as it is their ability, I think it also has to do with that the NFL, in terms of their way that they change their change management is like on the equivalent of a battleship trying to turn. It's like there's just way too much um how would I put it? Like there's there's just they they like to like I watched that Eagle Saints game and tell me if I'm wrong, Mark, but that first half I'm sitting here watching the Saints and they're like, let's rush four. Let's let's not let's run let's run tackle and twists that open the ends for for yeah. um for Jalen Hurts just to waltz through you know up the middle because basic or out to the outside because the outside isn't being contained and let's cover deep but like leave the middle of the field wide open for Hurts just to roam through and he had most of his like eighty something or a hundred he had like eighty of his a hundred yards I think rushing in the first half of that game most of his production came in the first half and as i'm watching that i'm just going this they didn't change anything they did until the second half so i'm i could just hear the coaching room going well we don't really have any nfl tape on the guy so let's play just basic schemes and we're gonna ba- or we're gonna play what we normally do and we're not gonna game plan for him even though they have college tape right their pro their, their rationale is we don't think that you know, we think that's too risky to use college tape to know what he does and doesn't do well because that's a different scheme. And, you know, we don't want to get too bogged down in that. We might game plan something off of it that could really kill us. Maybe that's the fear. I don't know. But I'd like to know your thoughts on that because it seems to me like you guys like Hill and Hertz have that type of advantage. And then you can look at like Marcus Mariota or Ryan Tannehill. And they're good examples of guys who've had several years of starting experience they've they've been to the big show they understand the speed and complexity of the game but they also have the running ability that can kill you teams haven't game planned for they didn't game plan for marcus Mariota last week so you know he had an inherent advantage in in that respect so when i hear like you know my buddy the great sigmund bloom on and we're on the audible going you know, this is going to be David Carr's job. He's going to lose his job now to Marcus Mariota. Could this be the case? And, you know, and I'm like, that's an exciting kind of foreshadowing moment for entertainment. But I, I kind of wondered to myself, like, really, it's one game and they just weren't prepared for what Mariota brings to the table as opposed to Derek Carr, who's had a pretty darn good season this year. Yeah, I, I, I think a couple of things factor into this. I think more and more teams will be wise to have a mobile backup quarterback you know, because of this reason, because they can come in in a game, a couple of games, and be tough to defend. I do think that there is that sort of institutionalized reluctance to change things, especially in the midst of a season. It's like, look, this is what we do. We're not going to really like 
wildly reconfigure our defensive philosophy for a backup quarterback. We're just going to do what we do and hope that it's enough. And if we have to sort of make adjustments at halftime, we'll do that, which is absurd now that I'm saying it, but that's how they're approaching it. I also think what's interesting, I've been thinking this a lot sort of about the Doug Peterson, Carson one situation, which is Doug Peterson seems absolutely brilliant when he has to play with his backup quarterback. Right. I mean, he's like <laughs> right. 11 and three, 11 and four with his backup quarterback. You know, but it doesn't have that kind of record with Carson once. I think what happens is offensive coordinators, head coaches that are calling the plays, they feel like we've got to do a ton to help this guy. This is our backup. You know, he's not the starter. So we got to really coach him up. We got to scheme him up because you watch that game against the Saints and Hurts' first start. Three of his first six passes were moving the pocket. And then, you know, in the scripted second half plays where they come out for this, you know, because you script those plays at halftime usually. I think three of his first four throws were boots. Like it was clear, like this is our game plan. We're going to do things to help this guy. But then when you have the starter, whether it's Carson Wentz or Derek Carr or whoever, it's like we can just run our offense. We don't have to like help him. He's good. He's the starter. That's why he's the starter because he's good. And it almost becomes sort of this like, you know, remember at the end of the Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers era in Green Bay, where it was the joke that just run slant flat, mirrored slant flat. And if it wasn't there, Rodgers was going to make something happen. Well, I feel like sometimes that happens with NFL started quarterbacks and their coaches because they just ex- their coaches expect them to create. But it's like help them. Yeah. But then when you have to have the backup, you're you're falling over yourself to try to help them and scheme some scheme stuff open when that's what you should, you should have been doing all along. So you might even see a better offense for these guys than the starters. That's a great point. Could you see one day, I mean, this is kind of out there, but as you're talking, I start thinking about, you know, Nick Saban and how he brought in Tua Tungavailoa in the second half of the Georgia National Championship game. And then you think about all these, you know, Mariota, and then you think about the, you know, Hurts. And Hill, and I'm thinking, I wonder if a team could somehow, you know, they get a veteran who's like a good, solid veteran, and then they get a young guy who's had some experience who can move around or who's a pretty high-end guy and have kind of like a starter, closer, first half, second half platoon. Like, I know that, like, most people say that's crazy because the quarterback needs all the reps he can get, you know, all of that kind of thing. But I wonder if there, it would be fascinating to see if a team could, come up with a platoon system that would work out where you say, this is what we're going to do in the first half. This is what we're going to do in the second half and make teams game plan for two quarterbacks um, and see if they can actually do that and then switch it up where like maybe, okay, you know, it's like Jalen Hurts is coming out of the tunnel in the first half, right, you know, and right. then it's like, you know, yeah, that's I mean, switching you up. You could probably do it, um, you know, because of the whole CBA structure. You only get so many hours as a team to prepare for a game. And if you're going to like divide that up between two quarterbacks, I mean, like, you know, the saints this week, they kept it quiet. The breeze was coming back, you know, so the chiefs were getting ready to play Taysom Hill, but you know, apparently reporting was they were getting ready for both guys. You know, the saints didn't play great, but they put up 29 points. Yeah. You know, so it makes you think that there is something to that. Now, could you, you would have to have to really, strong personalities i'd say to be able to go along with that true like you don't get to be a quarterback at that level without thinking you're the guy and you should be the guy and like we're here with carson once right now he's completely unhappy with this scenario you'd have to have two really special guys to be able to say like yeah i'm okay just playing the first half or the second half of this game like 
you need the yeah. buy-in there. But on paper, it could certainly work. You could, you could spin it to your advantage for sure. Well, you know, I mean, if in, I guess I think the way we'd have to do it is we'd have to like, um, you know, you'd have to be a team that says, you know what, um, let, me, let me think of a good example. You know what, um, Drew Brees and let's see who would who's an aging Cam Newton. Like you can take Drew Brees and Cam Newton and say, you guys are getting old. We'll give you we'll give you like a small small micro percentage of ownership shares as part of your contract that will grow wow. each year that you're still here. And you've been, you know, neither of you won the show. Well, yeah, Brees won one. Brees so, won one. Yeah, but you know, you want to go back. You want to get back. You've been this close. So let's let's work together and figure this thing out and you know you can you know and we can I mean that's a situation that could work i mean if you got a game plan for cam newton qb power you know inverted veer in the first half and then breeze run an empty gun all sorts of west coast and air raid concepts in the second half that's tough to get that's a lot to put on a defensive coordinator's play for a week right you know so i mean again we're having fun fantasizing yeah. about you know unrealistic things but speaking of like more realistic stuff Who's the most dangerous NFC playoff contender? The, the NFC is a mess. <laughs> like it's a legitimate mess. Um, I was actually having this chat last night in a group discussion with John Ledyard, Michael Kist, and some others. You know, obviously in the wake of you see Pittsburgh lose on Monday night, and you're wondering, you know, who's I know we're gonna talk about the AFC in a second, but we're like, you know, obviously it looks like right now, although there are some teams we'll talk about, Kansas City has a nice little inside track in the AFC, but the NFC is just, what team are you going to bet on? I mean, we, we just talked about the Saints. They have a very good defense this year, very good defense this year, and Jalen Hurts beat them a couple of weeks ago, right? So how good is that defense, or was it a factor of the things we just talked about? You have Drew Brees, who's coming off the rib fractures. That's a team that badly needs the bye. Michael Thomas is banged up, and you don't know if they're going to get the bye. So they've got some questions. The Green Bay Packers – they seem to be on a pretty good run, but then the Panthers made them look mortal as an offense, and that defense has had some question marks. You can run the ball on them, so they've got some questions. The Rams, you've got the Jared Goff pumpkin game, and we saw we saw that in the first half. We saw it against the Dolphins. That's the fear with the Rams. As good as their defense is, as, good, as smart as Sean McVay is, and he's so good in the run game, you have the fear of the Jared Goff pumpkin game where – you're going to be doomed by three interceptions and two lost fumbles on sacks. And Seattle, does that brings us to Seattle, I'd, get, I'd say, or Tampa Bay. Like, I don't know who the best contender is. I, you know, gun to my head, sitting here right now, I might want to say Tampa Bay. As shaky as their offense has been, and it has been shaky, their defense has been spotty at times. Like, I just I've, – I've lived it for 20 years, and I, I, I still at this point – trust Tom Brady and win a game for me if I needed it. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it is. I think it's the Buccaneers as well. And I think it's because as much as we talk about how Bruce Aaron, you know, you did such a great job a few weeks ago highlighting how Bruce Arians and Tom Brady are kind of trying to coexist in terms of what they do offensively, how Tom Brady's trying to adjust to what Arians is asking him to do on, you know, hot routes and different types right. of route options. Um and wh why that's not always working out well because of the whole muscle memory, motor, you know, memory type of thing. But I'd have to think, and maybe this is just my assumption of rational coaching, but you'd have to think that um, in the playoffs, Bruce Arians is kind of going to be like, okay, 
this is we're do or die right now in this situation. Yeah. Tom, just call something with Rob and and yeah, just, get it working. Just dust off the old Patriots playbook. Like, yeah, just, yeah. Do what you need to do. Make the adjustment. You know, create on the field. If if you're doing your own thing, we'll live and die by you. You know, yeah. I I could see that happening. So the Buccaneers to me are probably the best candidate. But I I do. Seattle's to me is always one of those slow starter, hot finisher teams. They're always like they're on West Coast time. They wake up, you know, yeah. th- those guys wake up early actually on West Coast time, but it's kind of like there's they're that they're that guy. They're like the genius with bedhead who like, you know, wakes up like late and they look like they're out of it and then like they get a little coffee in them and and you know, warm the arm up and by the fourth quarter it's like, "Oh, they're a different team." So I could see how this team ends up doing that. Did you see the movie The Martian? Yes. Donald Glover's character, right? Remember? Yeah. Yeah. In the middle of the night, he wakes up, stumbles to the coffee. It's like three in the morning. And then he comes up the plan, the slingshot plan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's And that's totally like a Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson kind of thing. I think that run game is getting healthier now with Chris Carson. So that helps. Russell Wilson had a bit of a lull probably at the right time. You know, they get Josh Gordon back, which for anything is for the playoffs. That could be actually a decent (laughs) thing to have him as a third receiver. Um, And and so, you know, this is a team that I think can still be dangerous, even though their defense is woof, Um, you know, but that's that those are the two teams there that, you know, but I'm mostly in agreement with you that the Buccaneers are by far and away the most dangerous team. Now, what about the AFC, though? Who's I'm, the biggest threat to Kansas City? I think that's the way to frame it. I'm going to pick a, an opponent that gave them a little more than I expected, and that's the Miami Dolphins. I really? th- Yeah, as weird as that may sound, and they're on the bubble. I mean, they could very well not even make the playoffs if the Ravens play out well or if the Raiders do something um, semi-miraculous. Um, but I think when you look at the Dolphins – because of their blitz packages, because that they have guys like Xavier Howard and they've got Jones and that they can, you know, they play pretty well on the outside and they, they're they not afraid to, like, really play aggressive defense and and get home on you. I They should have beaten the Chiefs. Like, I watched that game and they gave Patrick Mahomes way too much respect in the first half of that game. Like, they were... You know, what they did to Goff, they made Goff, like, basically lose his water early in that game. And they didn't try that with Mahomes because they had too much respect for him and Andy Reid. But Mahomes was screwing up. Like, he was way too casual with with his pocket management early in that game. And while some of the interceptions weren't his fault, um, you know, these were... Miami was really taking it to them. And I think if they were more aggressive like they were in the second half, this game might have been in my, Miami might have been playing with a lead in that game. So I, and I look at Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick, especially Tua though, his ability to create, you know, and I think in a situation like this, he might be young enough and too, like too young to realize the enormity of the situation. Just kind of like he was probably too young to realize the enormity of the situation where he first started. And that may actually give him an advantage now where he's like, you know, in the playoffs and just running and gunning. And he has like, you know, I know his weapons on the outside in terms of receivers isn't great, but they have a pretty good offensive line. You know, 
They can run for the lack of running back play that they really have. That's, you know, in one guy. But I could see him being like a Cinderella who upsets um, some teams in the AFC because of their defense and because of Tua's playmaking. Yeah, I think that's a really good answer. Um, And I was fascinated to see that game because I was curious to see, given all the things they do schematically, how Josh Boyer and Brian Flores would handle uh, Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to take the easy answer and say Buffalo. Um, you can yeah. make a, you can make a case for Tennessee again, uh, but their defense I think isn't near where it was last year, and that's the thing you've got to at least slow them down. Like you, and a team like Tennessee isn't winning a shootout with them. The reason why I think Buffalo is an option is because they've got the most pathways to beating them. Like they can they can win in a shootout. Like Buffalo can put points on Josh Allen has made those leaps. Like that's why yeah. we couldn't answer Josh Allen in question one. And their defense is getting better. Uh, getting Tredavious White healthy is huge. I trust their safeties. You need great safety play if you're going to beat Kansas City, whether you're playing single high or two high. Micah High, Josh, Jordan Poyer are fantastic safeties. They can get some pressure on you. You can get pressure with three, with four, with five, so you can still have decent numbers, which is something you need to do. So I think that's kind of the easiest answer. So I'll take it. It's Buffalo. Yeah, and – the, you know, the team that I would say that kind of is the is the Seattle version of the AFC right now is um, Will Ferrell and his Yinzer brethren, um, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, if they, they wake up and start actually – their offensive line has not been playing well. Um, no. So if Bill that – Villaweva was getting beat up Monday night. Yeah. If that unit can somehow – I don't know. If they each collectively find a can of spinach and, you know, they might right. be okay. But – that's that's a team that wouldn't surprise me if somehow they put up a run and start playing better, and then you're like, well, of course, now they're in the AFC Championship game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, they were 11-3. They were, to 3. They were 11 to 0 at one point. They should be here, right? Exactly. Even though I've spent most of my past couple of hours you know, throwing the dirt on them in the grave. Yeah, I've been the same way. So, <laughs> so. All right, so they're, they're most likely to be the undertaker. So who's quarterback – which quarterback in this um, – league will be in a more be in the most precarious situation or a situation that's more precarious than we think in 2021 in terms of their their job status there are a couple of ways you could go here um i'm gonna say matt ryan Mm. and i'm still a matt ryan fan uh but there have been some mistakes in the past couple of weeks that have started to get me it was like how i felt about roethlisberger saying weeks six and seven of the season it's how I feel about Ryan now. It's like the storm clouds are on the horizon. You start wondering, is it an injury? Is it all the other stuff going on around him? Julio Jones being out. You know, he made he, he had a nice bounce back game in the first half against Tampa Bay, for sure. Um, but, you know, the previous weeks, there were some question marks. And now you're looking at a situation with a new head coach, new general manager. They seem to be picking in the top seven or eight of this draft. That's in QB range. It might be a situation where the next regime says, look, Matt, you've had a fantastic career here, but we got to make a run with a new guy because we know the economics of the NFL today. If you get a rookie quarterback in the first round, they're playing at some point, you know? And so I think Matt Ryan and that the, the next QB cast, you know, carousel with all the teams that need a quarterback in the draft, with all the teams that are going to miss out on a quarterback in the draft because of the volume of teams that need a quarterback and there's only so many to go around, you might see some guys really moving around this free agency period. 
Carson Wentz might get moved. I mean, it's going to be fascinating, but I think, yeah, Matt Ryan. I love the answer so much. It's so funny because I kind of reacted when you said it because I didn't think you were going to say him, and that was my choice. Oh, because, really? Yeah. <laughs> because... well, I, I'll say this. I was initially going to say Derek Carr. Okay. But since you had talked about Carr earlier and said, you know, what you did about Mario, I'm like, oh, no, no, Matt's got a really good point there. I'm not going to go down that road. Well, it's funny because, like, I'm – I was more with Ryan just because after watching him every week for so long, it's like he has some flaws to his game. I mean, every player does, but like there's some things with him that they're surprising. Like I don't think he's a good reader in, I don't think he reads the the red zone very well. I think he has some real flaws where he misses things that you're just like, they're surprising in how he misses them. Um, he seems lost without Julio at times, which I guess I understand, you know. Right. But it's like he's he gets lost to the point where it's like he's not reading the field like he should. It's like it's disrupted him in some ways. Now, does that mean that he's losing his edge and he's not really a starting caliber guy? No, I think your rationale is probably the best. It's just that it, it may be time to move on and try and get a different thing going here. And they feel like that they don't want to – they don't want to – um watch this to the bitter end with what happens right. with players. And I can see where that they would move forward with someone new and him be the transitional figure. He'd be a guy. I know you'd love to see him in new England. You know, if, yeah. if you had a, if you had a chance, and th- it, it, there's another name on this list that I consider that I would also love to see in new England, which is Matthew Stafford. Oh God. I think there are a lot of, I would, I can't wait to see what happens with Matthew Stafford. Cause I would love to see him on a number of teams. It's just, I think people are starting to give him his due in terms of like, he should have been better than what he was, but injuries and, and lots of coaching turmoil, but he survived it. And you got to kind of give a quarterback credit for that. Cause a lot of quarterbacks don't survive what he went through, which tells you how good he really is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So here we go. Stepping away from football for a second. Although it may be a football answer. Who knows? A bucket list item for you, Matt, that it's on the list, but it might kind of be down the bottom because you might not really feel comfortable or confident enough to do it, but you still want to. It still appeals to you in some way. Well, I'm, you know, there are a lot of people that when you talk about the movie Jaws, you know, you, if you if you like like all the shark videos that are on YouTube and on Discovery, the movie, you know, the shows and all those types of things, you know, there are a lot of like you'll hear a lot of biologists and marine biologists talk about how Jaws really was awful for like, you know, the the cause of the shark because it demonized the animal. Um, but everyone I know who really has a deep appreciation for that movie also has a deep appreciation for sharks like they don't see them as like monsters that need to be skirt you know that are the scourge of the oceans that you need to get rid of so you know and i and i've heard a number of marine biologists even say that they were inspired to learn want to learn more about them because of that movie um and i'm one of those people that i've always thought it would be fun to go cage diving um with a great white shark off the coast of mexico um and see them and but you know and i've even seen lately like these biologists swimming free swimming with them you know like 25 foot long you know shark that's been roaming the coast of hawaii and and uh and mexico for years and years 
And I'm like, and then people petting tiger sharks that the sharks come up to them and they like literally are petting them on the head because they're, they, the shark recognizes them regardless of suit or anything like, and I'm like, that's all sounds great, but, um, I'm sure they smell fear or <laughs> GH fear too. Um, and that sounds great to me, but I don't know if I have the sack to be able to do that. So, um, we'll see, you know, and then again, my dad went skydiving for the first time when he turned, um, 70. So I, I'm thinking that I might have the, the genes that I have. I might just get crazy enough to do something like that. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm glad you mentioned your dad and skydiving because that's my answer. Is oh yeah. Because I am terrified of flying. We've, we've covered this. Like yeah. I am the world's worst passenger on an airplane, like period. And I'm terrified of heights. And so the thought of being in an airplane and then standing at the door of an airplane and looking down <laughs> yeah. is enough to make me vomit sitting here right now. Wow. I mean, there are like, remember when Matt Harmon went skydiving? Yes. And he posted the video. Yeah. I get nauseous watching it. Wow. Okay. And it's, it's like when you see those like things on Twitter, like how much would you, how much money would you need to do this? And it's like somebody climbing up a ridiculous radar tower or like, sitting on the edge of like some high cliff i'm just like no no i couldn't do it i can't watch it how could i do it but at the same time i'm like that would be one heck of a way to try to conquer those dual fears yeah because like get up in a plane and jump out of it and be like look if i could do that you know taking a 90 minute flight from the dc area to indianapolis for the combine shouldn't get me worked up in a cold sweat for the three weeks leading up to it which is like we're in the like time frame where I'd start getting nervous about my flight to the senior bowl, like right now. Ah, see, like, that's go. how bad it is. So there yeah, I mean, it's, it's got, and literally maybe 15 minutes away from me right now is one of those indoor skydiving places where you just like, Oh yeah, you know, I've done those. You've done those. Yeah. I might like sort of, I, you know, when we can emerge from our homes again, I might try to do something like that to sort of ease myself into the thought, but yeah, yeah skydiving. That's interesting. So I've got a bonus question now that now that I've heard this and it just came to me is, all right, so what's something that would be on your bucket list if you were single, but you can't have it on your bucket list because you're, you, you would have to probably get divorced in order to be able to do this because your spouse has basically said, no way, no way, no how, like I no, like that's crazy. There's two. Um, <laughs> when you know you're married, very married, because someone who's not married go, ah, oh, my wife ain't telling me what, you know. No, yeah. this is, Mark two. is very married. Now I know this. One is the first weekend of the NCAA tournament in Vegas. Really? Yeah, that, that right there. Because wow. I have a, my brother-in-law and some of his friends would go every year for like that. Third, they would fly in like, First thing Thursday morning, land in Vegas. They take the early flight out, and you've got you know all those games Thursday, all those games Friday, and then the game Saturday and Sunday. I would love to do that. I would absolutely love to do that. Every time Mike would tell me these stories, I'm like, oh man, that just sounds like such a good time. And I would say I've never been to Vegas, so that makes it even oh, more enticing. Yeah, wow. But I also know that like if I went to my wife right now and said, look, I'm going to Vegas for four days, I might as well just stay there. I might as well just like, stay out of Vegas because. I, I, I there, there's not enough goodwill I could purchase 
at those luxury shops out in Vegas to buy myself back into good graces for a long time. So that that is certainly one. The other, learning how to ride a motorcycle. That's mine. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> I, think, I think every guy that's, that's in sort of our age bracket that hasn't yeah. done it yet is like, that's it. I want to I want to learn and how to ride a motorcycle because I'd love to do it. And at yeah. this point, again, if I come home with a Harley, it's like those those Christmas commercials, those car commercials we've yeah. seen now when it's like you yeah. come out, you bought yourself a Buick, yeah. which is apparently what people do. If I came home, it's like I bought myself a Harley. My wife would be like, good, now ride it and just keep going. Yeah. Like, no. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty common one is the motorcycle. That's hilarious. Yeah, because my, my my wife, her my father-in-law got airlifted um, by helicopter to a hospital after he wiped out on his bike. Oh. Um, and he had one for many, many years. So it's kind of like, yeah, you're not, you know, if we're staying married, you're not getting one of those. And I was like, and it was funny because before that even, I flirted with the idea of getting a bike before I met her. And I did a lot of research, and then I realized that I was not the type of driver who should get a motorcycle. Like, I real after, like, I talked to a ton of people, and they're like, you're going to lay it down no matter what. Whatever happens, you're going to lay it down. And, like, as someone who's rode a bicycle as a way of commuting for, for years and experiencing how people treat um, cyclists on the road... Um, I got a good set. I mean, I've had a number of odd encou- you know, encounters with people who were, I, you have to be hyper vigilant and I've, I've been good with that, but as a driver and was, it's that I like, I don't, I used to have a lead foot. I've learned how not to have one. And certainly um, driver training courses after getting speeding tickets will, will help that. Um, <laughs> so, um, but I had, I had a bit of a lead foot Um And so I I think that knowing that and kind of I'm one of those people that walks up, you know, like if risk is a cliff, you know, I'm there are a lot of people who don't go near the cliff. And there are people who run and go and jump near the cliff. I walk slowly up to the cliff, look at all the blades of grass and the rocks that could be there. What I could trip over, kind of look at, you know, gauge the wind and look at all of that. And then I and then I walk away and then I take a running leap. Um, oh really? So, yeah. So, so I'm kind of one of those people. So I realize that yeah, that's that's probably not happening. Though the the joke with my daughter is is that if if my wife goes first and and I'm the old retiree and I have to end up living with my daughter and her family at some point, that she's the joke is that she's putting me in the attic. Actually, the joke is is that she's putting her her dad down in the basement and just giving him beer and. Um, letting him hang out there, um, and then my my wife will be in the in the in the the main floor where my daughter can keep an eye on her the most, um, <laughs> and then she'll and then I will be in the I will be in the attic with basically um, you know with my records and my ability to like just work because she knows I'll, I'll still be working, but she's also making sure that the, she has a really high attic because she knows that I'm the most likely one to try to escape. <laughs> that's well thought out it is it's very, very well, well it's very out. well schemed by my daughter so yeah. i just know that but i did tell her if that happens i'm getting a motorcycle i'm i'm escaping and getting a motorcycle and yeah. you'll be hearing about me somewhere in california that i'm laid up in a hospital somewhere but <laughs> oh that's great 
All right, so tell me something about a prospect you've watched recently that you think the player has to work on something that's that 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 you'd like to share with folks. I thought we were going to have to put this to bed. Um, <laughs> we studied Justin Fields this summer. Our main conclusion on him was he got to the right answers, but it took him too long sometimes, and he would need to speed that up if he was going to make the leap, and that's why he needed more Saturdays. And I thought as of this time last week, he had answered that question. I was like comfortable with what he had done. I was confident that he was starting to piece it together and speed himself up. And then I watched the Big Ten Championship game and I watched Northwestern. And he was slow again. He was extremely slow in, the game, in that game. He had open reads and he wasn't pulling the trigger. He had slow reads where he had opportunities that he just never got to. And it, it raised that question yet again. I, I thought we had put that issue to bed, Matt. But after watching that Big Ten championship game, that issue's back. And it's coincided with this rise of Zach Wilson, um, who I've yet to complete my work on. I, I don't know where it leaves Justin Fields. I still think Justin Fields is a very good quarterback. And I still think he has those things that you need to be successful early in the league. Mobility, athleticism, leverage, all that stuff. But there's that part of me that still stresses the mental side of the position that is hung up on this again. And I'm almost back to where we were when we studied them in the summer. There you go. I I like, you know, that's interesting. And I'm looking forward to getting to see, I I need to complete mine of fields because I've seen early, but I haven't seen a lot from this season yet. So I'm looking forward to watching that. The guy I have gotten pretty far along in is Zach Wilson. And Zach okay. Wilson is my subject matter for oh. that one. Because when I watch him, he's the guy that I mentioned on Twitter that he probably needs to um, go to law school so that he can become a personal injury attorney and either defend himself against the receivers that he puts at risk, um, you know, <laughs> or or help them sue the NFL after you know for the inherent risks that the game offers. Because really, he is he really doesn't read the leverage of the field fast enough. If you ask me in the middle of the field and he puts his receivers in danger more often than the average guy, every, you know, I heard somebody say this on Twitter as a response, like to whoever it was. Well, Patrick Mahomes does it. And I'm like, yeah, like once every other game, every three games, not four times in one game, you know, it's like that's that. And, you know, he has that opposite field arm, but he doesn't have the anticipation. So he he doesn't respect coverage that can peel off. He doesn't respect coverage that's over top of the, the receiver and I just think that you know, he could po- he he can grow out of these things. They're not like, you know, fatal, you know, deal bake breaker type of things for him, but he's a he's the type of quarterback and you watch his game you're like, yeah, that first year and a half, two years could get messy for him. Because he could have a lot of interceptions early in his career. And he can also create, and either because he's throwing into tight windows where the receiver gets decimated, the ball hangs in the air after getting you know deflected and, and a safety scoops it up or a linebacker scoops it up. Or even a defensive end in the NFL scoops it up. Right. You know, or these or a lot of these like comeback hooks, um, out routes where basically 
he delivers it and the leverage is like god awful in favor of the defender because there's a lot of passes he throws and you're like the receiver's literally waiting like more than a second at a standstill on the ball and the defender's far away or the defender's remarkably close and it's like a miracle that it wasn't intercepted you know because so you know for me wilson needs to improve those types of areas overall in his game well, I'm, I'm like I like I said, I'm haven't finished my work on him, so I'm excited to see that now, um, because that, that seems to be a, I don't want to say it's a full-on contrarian opinion given the rise of Wilson we're seeing, but it does seem like a lot of people already who anoint him maybe quarterback two in this class. Wow, which is yeah, there you go. Um, so that that's interesting. Um, here we go. What are we, we've talked about this business before, uh, but this is another question to sort of address it, and I think I know why this question is on the list, but I'm not going to sort of give the game away here. What are some pitfalls to the football writing business that aspiring writers should be careful about? Either ways they can get cheated, taken advantage of, stolen from, or something else. Yeah, I just think it's a good thing to for us to talk about because you write for a lot of people, and I thought that it would be good for people to kind of get a feel for, it's not just about who you're writing for, but how to be selective about who you're writing for and the types of things that are offered to you because media is unfortunately now become an entertainment business in a lot of respects and fantasy football is an entertainment business and the entertainment business attracts a lot of people who want to make a quick buck um, or business people who failed in other arenas who because they've used methods that have been sniffed out that may not have been sniffed out here. And there's a lot of young labor who are trying very hard with high demand um, to, to get opportunities. And I think that that puts, that creates a lot of things. So I'm obviously I'm not going to name names uh, of things because I just think one, that's just not the way to go, but I can give you scenarios that I've experienced that I think would be worthwhile that I know other people have experienced and will experience in the future that'll be worth to remember like one is just more of a common sense thing um if someone's trying to poach you from another site um there's nothing wrong with like someone offering you a job you know if you know if i like somebody's work and i had the money at the rsp to be like hey would you come write for me i'll pay you this there's nothing wrong with that but if you're a fantasy writer and someone comes to you and you have like a big responsibility for that site in terms of the work that you do and they come along and say I'll pay you double what you're making there if you leave right now in late August you know to come work at their new site you know think about that you're screwing over the people that you've made a commitment to and they're benefiting from the fact that they're taking you away from, especially if you know that you're a, you're a big part of that site's plans, you know, because some of these sites are smaller sites. So maybe there's three main writers or four main writers who are like responsible for a lot of the content. Well, if they're, someone's coming to take you away, they're also trying to mess with your, that, the, the soup, the group that you're working for. Do you really want to be known as the guy who like screwed over where you worked, you know, the hand that fed you to like, to, you know, help out another, you know, to, to make money off of another, 
you know, that's something that I think people should be careful about. I think that um, when you look at contracts, contracts, you, I would highly recommend, and Mark would, I'm sure, will recommend this highly too, is even if it's a little expensive, even if it's inconvenient, get a lawyer before you sign a contract. Especially if you've created something that is your own and is your own work, you need to understand the ramifications of what deals are being presented to you. You know, you don't want to look around and go, wow, they told me this, but the contract basically says they can update anything they want to in that contract without my notice and it's binding, you know, um, or that they're going to, um, what would be another thing that would be an example or that, you know, you, you're going to get to keep your intellectual property, but the way that they're going to use it is going to render it useless like to you, like they're going to suck all the life out of it. And you technically have the, have the, the intellectual property that you've spent 20 years working, developing or five years working on or three years working on and developing a following and fan base and could monetize that. And they're going to come along and basically say, yeah, you can have it back when you leave, but we're going to, we're going to be able to use SEO to basically everything's always going to be looking to us as opposed to you, even if you get it back. You know, there's things like that that you have to understand the ramifications of those things so that people don't either steal the soul of what you're doing out of it or literally steal it right out from under you. Um, so I would, those are two things I would mention is like get a writer and think about how you would want to treat the people that you work with currently because they're the people that are going to recommend you in this business, you know, and, and you want to make sure that you build a resume where you have you know, good references in terms of what you do. So those are the, those are things that I had in mind with that. Yeah, those are all good. I'm going to build off. I've been jotting down notes here as you've been talking, Matt. Um, you, you mentioned having a lawyer read contracts before you sign them. I'm a lawyer. My wife's a good lawyer. So she reads every contract before I sign it. <laughs> right, like, yeah. Period. Um, because you will see things in there that might not mean much to you at the moment, but they could be critical. Yeah. Like a lot of podcasting contracts, like they have things like if you leave during the terms of this contract, you cannot go to do another podcast. Or if you do, there's going to be a monetary penalty to do that. There are these like covenants not to compete in there. And so you have to be sure like what the language is about that, you know, because you know, contracts might be in there and saying, you know, if you're hosting a podcast about Team X or Fantasy Sport Y, you can't then leave and start another podcast about Team X or Fantasy Sport Y. We're going to come after you for monetary damages because we've invested in you, helped you, whatever. So you want to be clear on stuff like that. Um, commitments do matter in this industry. And to the point that you were making, like, just think about it from a football perspective, right? If the New England Patriots somehow were able to take Matthew Stafford off the Detroit Lions in late August, like what does that do to those two teams? You know, and so, you know, you don't want to burn people, especially when they've given you uh, a shot, a place to write, whatever. And now you're going to leave them in the lurch. Like commitments matter. Now, if somebody says, look, can you do some work for us and still stay there? Like that's okay. But you never want to spread yourself out too thin. Believe me, look, there were a couple of years when I was writing it 
like eight different places. And I had eight different 1099s to do when it was, when it was tax season. It was just too much. Um, so you don't want to spread yourself too thin because then the work gets watered down and it gets to be tough. And at times, even right now with the places that I'm writing, sometimes it's tough to juggle it all. Relationships matter. Relationships matter in this industry because I can't tell you how many opportunities I've had come my way because I helped somebody out or worked with somebody or did things the right way. Um, and look, I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else or anything like that, but they do relationships do matter. And a piece of advice that I always gave clients that I had, again, I was a bad lawyer, but I got some things right. And when I was preparing clients for a deposition or a trial, or whatever, I always said, look, when you're in, on the witness stand, whatever you're in trial, whatever, even if you think nobody's watching, you just, it's a break during trial and you're going to get lunch. Assume that people that matter are watching you like jurors, the other lawyer, the judge, and also assume that your mom's watching you. So behave in a way that would make your mom proud. Like that's how I would phrase it. And that's how I think, you know, as best as you can, you should try to heed that advice, like on Twitter, on social media, which is where we spend so much of our time. And to that point, Remember another piece of advice that I got when I was a lawyer, assume everything you put in an email or everything you write in a DM or whatever is going to be on the front page of the WashingtonPost.com the next morning. Assume that. And then you will never burn yourself. And we all look, we all drop the jokes in the DMs. Like I understand that, but I wouldn't, you know, feel comfortable like, you know, saying things about other people or whatever. Like, you know, if you can't say it to somebody's face, like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be saying it. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like a golden rule thing, but you know, it does matter. Um, and the final thing, this is something that I live by. I live in abject terror that I will put something in an article, in a video, whatever. And somebody has already done that. Like I did a video Monday on Tom Brady's game against the Atlanta Falcons. And I saw that, Benjamin Solak had mentioned Tristan Wirf's block on one play. And I, I saw that when I was scanning Twitter. And then when I was going to talk about that play, I made a note. I have to mention Ben. Like, I didn't want to highlight that block without giving Ben credit because I didn't – I wouldn't have noticed it. Ben saw it. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, I had somebody smart tell me once that citation makes the world go round. People will respect the world of you if you do that, if you cite to their work. Now, look, it's a game. There are, you know, anywhere from 12 to 14 of them a week. People see the same things. Like, people are going to see the same plays. The big ones, we'll all talk about them. And so if you miss something like that, like, okay, it happens. But particularly if, you know, and this is more of the beat writer world, but if somebody gets a quote, like, they got that quote. Like, give them attribution for getting that quote. If I see somebody does a great breakdown of something, if Matt does a great breakdown of a video, I can break down the same play, but I make damn sure I mentioned Matt's breakdown and link to it um, because otherwise it's almost like stealing. Um, so it happens. They slip through the cracks. I get it. Um, but that's one that I live in. Like I live in abject fear of, you know, putting up a piece, going to make myself lunch or something and coming back and having 15 DMs saying, look, somebody just did this. You just ripped this guy off. Like, what are you doing? Like I live in fear of that. And so, yeah. Um, I, because if you link to somebody's work, guess what happens? They'll link to yours in the future. Yep. And that's how you build a reputation. That's how you build an audience. And so, yeah, I think that stuff matters. Yeah. And really, you know, if you're going to think about it in a, say you're, 
you have this type of attitude, and I, I think most people don't, but even if you're going to take the most pragmatic kind of approach to this, um, or even a Machiavellian type of approach to this, you could say that, you know, it helps, it's going to help your standing to, to promote other people because, again, it's the networking thing. Yeah. It's the recognition, it's understanding that, you know, you're building more bridges as opposed to cutting them off. So, yeah, it, no, I think what you talked about is fantastic advice um, on so many levels. And trust me, um, companies do take companies do take that seriously. You know, okay. even, I, I, you know, I, I, yes. OK, I've had calls. I fielded I fielded more than one call from an executive saying we got complaints from somebody saying that um saying that your work was referenced without being attributed and that they stole from you. Um, do you mind looking at this article and looking and, and giving and letting us know? Cause we'll fire that person if that's the case. Yeah. And I, there's times I've just given people the benefit of the doubt, but like, you know, I've had that and I thought I was like pleasantly surprised. And some of them were from places that, you know, diehard football fans might say, Oh, they're a joke, you know, but they they they're legit yep, companies that, that took it and seriously and the social media stuff i've said it before and i'll say it again companies see it all teams see it all every gm every head coach they say that snap face chat that they're aware trust me on this one i've been told by multiple teams multiple people like they they're, they're well aware of what happens on twitter yeah and so if you're somebody that's like looking at this as writing as a way to perhaps get a job in the league, make sure you're not just out there crushing people unless you've got like evidence to back it up. Like, Oh, you know, this player's bad. Like, okay. But just beware. Yeah. You, yeah. Cause if you're trying to do that, that you've, you've basically taken a very low odd situation and made it infinitesimally lower. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. like I laugh, you'll see me and I'll talk about, you know, Sean McVay's pension for screens and make fun of his pension for screens and things like that. And, and I'll hear people like Bloom who'll make the joke someday you're going to, I'm like, that's never going to happen. I mean, like, I know that I'm one is like, I'm, you know, he'll joke is like, you're, you should be a GM in the league or get a chance to be a scout, or we should be trying to do this. And I'm like, that's sweet of you. And I appreciate what you think, but no team is going to look at me in any way, shape or form to ever work for them. That's like, <laughs> You know, and I know that and I'm writing for for other people. So I look at that and I'm like, so if I want to joke about Sean McVay and and his way of playing, you know, using the Rams as his own personal video game. I know that that means that yeah. that means is whatever for the 22 year old kid out there. Exactly. Like, I, I want to work for the Rams someday. Well, then don't spend all day like just trashing Sean McVay's pension for pre snap motion, which is very cool. It certainly helps him in the run game. So right. I would push back on that. But I'm just saying. Right? Exactly. Exactly. They're all, right. all watching. They're all watching. They're absolutely. Because they all claim they aren't, which is hilarious. Yeah. And then yeah. they all see that they do. Yeah. I don't pay attention to that stuff. And then the, and that stuff that they tell you is very specific as if they've been reading yeah. it at 2 I don't pay in the attention to that article that said that Sean McVay doesn't know how to design pass plays for Jared Goff, who turns into a pumpkin every third game. <laughs> Not that I've written that in the past 24 hours. Yeah, not that I've, no, not at all. So, speaking of fictions, 
movie, TV series, book, music, or video game that you would recommend to someone? Okay. I'm going to give out a couple of things here. I'm not just going to pick one. I'm going to give out a couple of things, things that I've been enjoying recently. Um, First, in terms of books, the book I'm working through right now is titled First Principles. What America's founding fathers learned from the Greeks and the Romans and how that shaped the country. It was recommended to me by my dad, my dad Alden. Um, This is actually his copy. He gave it to me. It's fascinating. It's about Jefferson, Washington, Adams, Madison, and their educations, like what they read as kids and how that sort of shaped the future of this nation and our founding documents and stuff like that. It's nerdy history stuff that I love. Um, I've mentioned Scrubs before, um, but I will reiterate Scrubs, the TV show. It's now on Hulu, I think they just brought it to Amazon or Apple or Apple TV or something like so you can get it free of charge. And in conjunction with that, the Scrubs Fake Doctors Real Friends podcast with Donald Faison and Zach Braff, they just dropped today on what day is today? Wednesday? Yeah, Tuesday. Tuesday? I don't even know what day it is, Matt. I think it's Tuesday. I think you're right now. Whatever it is, Tuesday the 22nd, they just dropped on December 22nd. The episode, what they do in that that podcast is they go through episode by episode. They'll have either a director or, or another actor or producer, whomever come off um, to talk about the show. They're like each like an hour and a half long. And I'm not going to really spoil anything until the show's been over like 10 years. But the episode they dropped today, John C. McGinley is back to talk about the episode in which Zach Braff's character looks at John C. McGinley's character and says, do you know where you are right now? Those of you that have seen the show know exactly what I'm talking about. Those of you that haven't, nothing's been spoiled. So that series, that podcast, I'll also, of course, give a shout out to The Mandalorian, which is just, if you haven't seen The Mandalorian, it's fantastic. You don't have to be a huge Star Wars fan to get into it. Um, I am. My wife's not, but she loves it. It's well worth it. Season two was fantastic. The finale was fantastic. Video games, you know I'm a huge video game guy. I've mentioned Stardew Valley. I'm still playing Stardew Valley. It's fun. It's relaxing. It's mindless. You're farming. It's it's nice to play. Like last night's game ended. I dusted off the pieces that I had to dust off, put them to bed, and then played and, you know, harvested garlic for 30 minutes. And it was mindless with like video game music. It was a nice way to sort of wind down at the end of the night. But I will also give shout outs to Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which has been very enjoyable. A lot of historical stuff there. You're playing as a Viking, which is very cool. And I will say, I got myself a copy of Cyberpunk 2077. And it's on my last gen Xbox One. It's glitchy. Game freezes at times. Like there's a reason why Sony is not selling it to people anymore. It's a there's a reason why like every article about it is just like horrific. Keanu Reeves, he played his role, like, yes, very monotone and stoic. And he shouldn't have done it that way because his character is not that. <laughs> but the game is still fun as all ghetto. Like you're driving around in this futuristic world, just like everything's crazy just like random killing sprees but yet you're a subcontractor for the police department it's it's just absurd and yes you have keanu reeves in it and the graphics for keanu's character are incredible because it's like i'm talking to keanu reeves right now this is crazy um so even though it's glitchy it's buggy it's annoying i still love it so i i'm all in on cyberpunk 2077 it's been a blast for me that's awesome that's an awesome list of recommendations yeah it's 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 super glitchy. Like I was playing it the other night and every time like it's this huge open world. And anytime you like ride your vehicle from like one section to the next, it like freezes. So I'm on this like motorcycle doing like 80 miles an hour down this like highway in this like night city, which is basically, I guess it's like LA in 2077. And I'm moving from like 
you know, Pacifica into, you know, little Japan, I think where there's a neighborhood I was going into. And as soon as I hit the district line, it just like stops. And my motorcycle's like midair because I've gone over a bump and it's just like freezing. And so I'm sitting there like waiting for like five minutes and then finally just continues again. Like, because it t- it's the world's so big, I guess it takes a long time for the next area to render. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, and you're in this world, like pe- you have like basically hard drives in your neck. So like you get like a, you know, a, a disc and you just like spit, stick it into your neck and that's how you can like communicate and stuff. You can like hack into things. Like there was this one moment where you pull a cord out of your wrist, wow. and like plug it into a jack. I'm like, I don't, I'd, I'd be a hundred in the year 2077, but I hope I get to see that. Cause that just seems pretty cool. So you're one of those people that would actually let your brain be like hooked up to wires and stuff to like. Like at that age, you'd be like, yeah, whatever. At that okay, point, I'm sure, why not? Who I cares? Could run. If I could run, <laughs> I could run. So yeah, hook me up to whatever. I mean, I would. This is back to the early question. I wouldn't do it right now, but at a hundred, jack me into whatever you want. Can, can you just imagine Mark Schofield waking up in a dentist chair with a spike in the back of his hard drive head, like the Matrix, and and somebody, and all of a sudden his eyes open, he goes. I know the West Coast offense. <laughs> wow. That would be a per- <laughs> that'd be a perfect way to end this episode. But we're Seriously. Not, you know, it's like his eyes open up and he's like, I know the Walsh West Coast offense. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I know Montana era Montana era West Coast offense. Yeah. Um but yeah, I would say those are great. Um, movie, there's a movie that Ed Norton directed a while back called Motherless Brooklyn. And it's with Alec Baldwin. Um, and I'm trying to think of who else is in it. Bruce Willis has a small part in it. Um, but it's it's a movie based in like the 50s, early 60s. Um, in Brooklyn, of course, in New York about a it's like a a film noir type of detective story about someone investigating a city official basically um and all the things that the city officials done but it's based on a true story um it's not really a the the the, it's inspired by a true story about an elected official in new york who basically spent you know from 1930 to the late 60s he's the reason why the beaches are where they are, where the parks are where they are, why they built things the way they did. And he was like, also created all of these, everything he did, he had some angle from it that basically created some institutionalized racist thing to basically, you know, New York was always seen as this melting pot. And, but the reason that the slums are where they were and that ghettos were set up the way they were and the way that the, the city basically deteriorated in the 70s was basically the way this guy set this thing up for you know for 30 years and and even though he was not an elected official everyone had to basically answer to him he was Ed Norton called him this Darth Vader like figure who who basically had reign because he wasn't an elected guy um and he used to be like this like very liberal person who like like changed overnight kind of like the Anakin Darth Vader type of thing and was like this imposing fearsome you know figure in politics and 
And Ed Norton's interesting because his father is like, was a federal prosecutor. So his father knows, you know, his father's, he came from a family that really knows stuff. So that's really worthwhile. The, the music's good in it. The, the, the writing's pretty darn good. I, the story is just fascinating to me. It's a little bit of a longer watch, but it's worth it. TV series, I, my wife started The Queen's Gambit this weekend. And we, and we ended up finishing it. And she's watching it through the second time because my, my wife usually likes to watch and do, and do work while she's like watching stuff. And then we'll watch something like 10 times. Like for me, I'm a focused watcher. Obviously, I watch film. My, my wife's not a focused watcher. So she likes to watch things like we've seen Game of Thrones run through at least 10, 15 times in this household. And so we talk about it because she, she has, we have great conversations about stories and she observes really cool things, but it takes her like several viewings because she doesn't like to focus on one thing. So fine, you know, but like Queen's Gambit, I've seen most of it and I've seen it to the end and I've just got to go back to the beginning because I missed like most of the orphanage stuff. You know, I've only seen spots of yeah. it, but fantastic series. I thought it was fascinating in terms if you know, in terms of not only just from chess strategy, but to just the story itself, the friendships, the family, you know, what family is, you know, what friendships are, what teamwork is to, you know, the nature of genius and insanity and mental illness and emotional health and all sorts, you know, and it's just a riveting story. Um, and it's very stylized in the way that Mad Men, I, I don't know if the pre people who made Mad Men made this, but it sure seems has a feel a little bit. Maybe it's because it's in the same era, but they, a lot of the, I thought even like the cinematography of the, the series was good. Um, books. I'm not reading anything right now and I haven't been reading anything for a while. So I don't have anything to recommend um, on hand, but I would say if you're football fans and you're fans of Christopher Harris or your fans, uh, excuse me, of Chris Harris, or fans of Matt Batante football guys, Matt Batante is going to be coming out with a book soon. So I'm interested in what that's going to be because Matt's an incredibly intelligent dude. And he's he sent me a Hugh Holly book um, a while back that Hugh Holly was like, his science fiction is really awesome. Um, and I think that I'm interested to see what Matt's going to come out with. And Chris Harris, I mean, you, you know, He's, he's written several books that are available on Amazon, so I, I think I might check one of those things out. I was asking for a recommendation, but he probably got busy and forgot. So, um, but those are ones. And then music, you know, obviously, you know, I was on Bloom's show last week and I talked about jazz and different music, but if, you, if you're interested in, in, in that kind of music, I like, I'm really getting into, as I'm getting back to playing the saxophone, one of my like, five-year goals is to really become proficient as a blues player not like blues like you know bb king kind of blues but just like blues harmony like a lot of jazz is is based on the blues and really become proficient at that before i move on to anything else and so i listen to a lot of musicians who play blues and play that style of blues very well in the jazz idiom and a lot of saxophones especially saxophone that i i play they play with organists like Hammond organists and one of the great organists and Philadelphia just as also being the home to great boxers. They're great. They're a great home to tenor saxophonists and, and organists. Um, and one of the greatest organists to ever play is a woman by the name of Shirley Scott. And there's a, and she has a, 
She has an album. Um, she plays with a guy named Eddie Lockjaw Davis, who is a great saxophone player who played with Count Basie and a number of different people. And she has a and she plays with him on an album called In the Kitchen. Or the is it? No, actually, that's a song. It's the um, Eddie Lockjaw Davis Cookbook Volume One. And there's a song called In the Kitchen. But like her her feel and just technical. Um, mastery of the instrument and just musicality is fantastic and you know to get the chance to play with some of those folks that's really awesome so those are my recommendations i don't have a video game recommendation because mark knows i have only played basically two video games in the past two years madden and and um and the one that we play skyrim so there we go so yeah very nice all right let's close this out football question now um, not our last question. We got a couple more, but this is, I think, yeah. no, we got two football questions left. This one is who is the next tight end to challenge the Travis Kelsey, George Kittle mantle of the best all purpose tight end? I'm, I'm, is there one? that's a great question. I don't know. I think there's a probably a 60 to 70% chance there isn't one yet. But if I'm going to pick one that I would bet on. As a long shot, as a semi-long shot bet for this, it's going to be your guy Adam Troutman. Um, I I was really impressed with his blocking um, this year. I'm impressed with his footwork. He's really, you know, I, I think if Jared Cook weren't there, we'd be seeing a lot more of Adam Troutman. And I think Adam Troutman can be in a position to become a dominant tight end. I think. He's, you know, his route, his ability to run routes, his footwork, his ability to bend, his athletic ability, it's all there. Um, so that's who, that's my thought. How about you? Yeah, I'm, I think Trotman's a good pick. Um, I had hope for Hawkinson. Um, I had some hope, no offense. Even Albert O has looked good. But I think that there's a deeper question, which is it's, it's, it's not a position in the college game. Yeah. It, it, I mean, we, t- we mentioned earlier Kyle Pitts, right? He's a tight end in name only. Like, I think if you draft Kyle Pitts and line him up to your left tackle on 60% of his snaps in the NFL, you should get fired. Like, because <laughs> they, they use tight ends differently in the National yeah. Football League than they do in the college game. If you're if you're a receiving tight end in the college game, you're going to be lined up in the slot in the, to the boundary. You're not going to be asked to block once. And so now you need two players to do that. But you can do that on a 90-person scholarship roster. Um, you can't do that in the NFL with the restrictions you have. So it's it's hard to find that player. They take t- they take time to develop. You know, one of the things that I've talked about on this show before is not buying into young tight ends because it's a three year window now. Yeah, the quarterback position, the three year window is gone. The tight end position, now you have a three year window. Like yeah. those two positions have flipped, and now we sort of view them. So yeah, I don't. If there is a guy, I think Trotman maybe or some of the other names I mentioned, but there just might not be yeah. because the way that position is handled in the college game. I still believe in Hawkinson. I just was looking at guys, I guess. I probably should have refined the question of guys who aren't like, to me, like Hawkinson's almost there. Like he's he's certainly, production-wise, he's almost there. Um, but, you know, he's another year away. But I'm thinking, of, yeah, so so I hear you. I hear you. I kind of see him as a guy who's on his way to making it. Okay, so this one just, this one is just fun. What celebrity whose personality reminds you of your spouse? Yeah, this one could get people in trouble here. Um, <laughs> I, I will say this. I was trying to, because when you sent these over last night, I was like, 
reading through, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can answer this. This is what I'll say for this. This is what I'll do for this. I got to this question. I'm like, I'm, what am I going to say here? <laughs> and I remembered when my wife and I started dating, um, I had a nickname for it. It was Monica. Now, her, her name's not Monica, but it was Monica because of Courtney Cox's character in Friends. Monica Geller, the, like, chef, um, who seemed very sort of ordered and regimented. It was very particular about things. And that's kind of how my wife was. Um, like, when we... First went to law school. We all, all the incoming one hours got this book on, you know, the Facebook thing with everybody's picture. And, you know, you got the, it had like a list of like restaurants and stuff like that. And my wife would take notes in it about like different restaurants and what was good. Like she wanted to have that as a reference point, which I made fun of at the time. And we still joke about it to this day because there is a restaurant slash bar slash nightclub that we used to go to called the Jewish mother. Our first year in law school. And it burned to the ground out of nowhere. <laughs> and it was rather suspicious. And there were rumors of insurance fraud and things like that. And there was, of course, in the little section of this book, a thing on like, you know, bars and stuff. And there was a Jewish mother, my wife wrote next to it, burned. Just to make sure she remembered <laughs> that it got burned to the ground. Um, so I called her Monica. And so <laughs> that's what I thought of when you put this question out. I'm like, she's Monica. That's awesome. Well, mine occurred to me last night when I decided to ask this question because for those of you who follow me on, on Twitter, you know that my my wife is very skilled in terms of rehab and renovation and she's she owned her own company doing that before we met and did it for a while. And she but you know, any carpenter will tell you that you're prone to accidents from one point or another. So she has one, it seems like every seven to eight years. Like one time she one time we were, she was watching the president, vice presidential debates, um, the Palin, um, the Palin debate, um, Palin Biden. Biden debate, and something ticked her off, and she was cutting a screen with a laser razor blade, and she literally sliced her her wrist by accident, and it spurted <laughs> out, and this was funny because you know it's kind of macabre funny, but we take her to the emergency room because she didn't even realize what was going on. She cut it pretty deep. And so we take her to the emergency room and she comes in and they're like, can I help you? And she's like, yeah, I slipped my wrist. And I'm just like, oh God. Here yeah. And I'm like, you can just see the entire room start to close in of people because now the triage is like, did you know, does she have a psychological issue? Did she do this on purpose? And I'm like, Alicia, tell them how you sliced your wrist. She's like, why? I'm like, just trust me because she and then she looks around sees like there's like people huddled around she's like i was cutting a screen and then all of a sudden like everyone started yeah. to disperse so you know so let the, the on friday night my wife was using a um, pneumatic nail gun to basically make shelves and she punctured her hand like like right under the index finger like literally like in that little web, I can't do it in here because I'm not savvy with the camera, but like basically right under here, yeah. you know, that part. So she takes the, the thing out. I'm like upstairs, don't know anything about it. She continues working because that's my wife. So then like I come downstairs to say, hey, how's it going? You know, oh, good night. You know, check, compliment her on her work. Look at what's going on. She's like, sounds a little worried in her voice, but, you know, trying to hide it. And she's like, yeah, I... I actually nailed myself to one of my one of the drawers I was making and I had to pull the nail out. It doesn't really hurt. I'm, you know, I'm fine, but just something to keep an eye out on and I'm like 
Yeah, the last time my wife went to the hospital before I met her is because she stepped on a nail and hadn't had a tetanus shot and got tetanus. And like, you know, yeah. so there, you know, I wonder when the last time she's had a tetanus shot, probably too long. So, you know, I'm like, I got to slow roll her to the hospital. So we finally, I get her there. Everything's fine. She, by the grace of God, missed every nerve and tendon and bone that she possibly could have hit. Just hit muscle. She's doing much better. She'll probably be back working the day after tomorrow. Well, that's Christmas Eve. So since we have stuff scheduled, I've, I've bought some more time. She'll be back in a week. So that's good. So... She's laid up watching stuff, a little high on painkillers too, you know, and and cranky because she can't go back to work because I basically took her helmet away from her on Saturday. Um, yeah. <laughs> which, uh, let me tell you, that's hard. It's it's harder than trying to take one away from Thomas Thomas, apparently. So, um, you know, <laughs> but she's watching movies and, and shows and lots of stuff. And she watches things ranging from like... Um, Greek myths. She loves, you know, learning about Greek myths to watching um, Mad Men to like sweeping Civil War epics, which is really odd to like all sorts of other stuff, you know. Well, one of the shows she was watching, though, in her eclectic um, taste was Bernie Mac. So I'm, I, oh, I and she's that. watching Bernie Mac. So we're watching Bernie Mac and I'm sitting taking a break watching an episode of Bernie Mac with her. And, and my wife likes to comment to the TV. Like she like, like we'll watch movies and Chandler and I joke that we need to get, we need to make a podcast. We're literally like we had, there's a pod, there used to be that show shit my dad says and the book that, you know, that was hilarious about that. We need to have shit my wife says, uh, you know, about movies because yeah. she starts commenting about societal stuff whenever we watch a movie and we have to pause the movie and listen to her get on her soapbox about stuff. And it's our little joke about this. But when she's watching Bernie Mac and he's like sitting in his chair commenting about what happened in the episode, I just see my wife. She's like strangely quiet and she's just nodding in agreement like as she's watching all this stuff. And finally, he does something that just reminds me of her. And I look at her and she looks at me and she knows exactly what I'm thinking. I go, holy fuck, I married Bernie Mac. Like. <laughs> And she started laughing and she's like, yeah, yeah. She's like, yeah. I said, I, I should have known. That's the only show I've ever seen you watch that if you seem to think that, you know, that you're not getting on your soapbox about something, you know, like you agree with everything you said, like you're his twin sister, aren't you? I married Bernie Mac's twin sister. And, she, and she's like, that's I'm awesome. afraid you have. So yes, my wife reminds me of Bernie Mac. That's so. awesome. <laughs> So that was a good show. I love Bernie Mac. Yeah, it's a great show. It's a, yeah. it's funny as all get out, and it's 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 clever. It's more clever than I thought I would expect it to be, just in terms of being a sitcom. So right. it was fairly clever for a sitcom. Okay, so what's the most surprise? We'll end with a football question. What's the most surprising development in the NFL this year? I think the most surprising development is also the most important development, both for the NFL, the future of the NFL, and the future of our business. It's Josh Allen and Justin Herbert because I remember doing um, doing shows earlier this year with Doug Farrar. I know we've talked about it a little bit. Those are two big-armed athletic quarterbacks that we just weren't sure were going to make it in the National Football League, right? Yeah. Um, and I'll admit, like, I was a little higher on Herbert. I was definitely higher on Herbert than you I was were. on Josh Allen. Absolutely. Um, but I think their development – Obviously, Allen's over the three-year period. Herbert's this year. 
is going to cause people to rethink things. For people in the league, it's going to cause them to rethink how you evaluate quarterbacks and then handle and develop quarterbacks. For people doing what we do, I think we're going to have to, you know, reevaluate and restructure what we do sort of in parallel in tandem to that. You know, because I think there is now a, a path, a plan, a program where you could have the one, two, three year development window for quarterbacks like this and get them to play well early and then extend and grow them into years two and three. Um, so I think that their success is going to have sort of rippling effects throughout the league for the next three, five, seven, ten years. Um, because now guys that you might have questions about, like maybe a Kyle Trask or Zach Wilson or some of these other quarterbacks, you can say, look, there are ways to do this. There are ways to make it work. I mean, you watch what they're doing with Justin Herbert. Downfield throws, letting them attack leverage. A lot of their routes, it's just, look, you, Hunter Henry's running the stick, a sit route in the middle of the field. If the defender's inside, throw it outside. If he's outside, throw it inside. Like, that's what you got to do. And he could do that. And if your quarterback could do that, you can put together an offense around them. So I think for reasons that I just put out there, reasons we have yet to even comprehend, like Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, those are the two biggest sort of developments that will have huge impacts on this league going forward. Yeah, I think that's a – I that that's a great answer and I wish I could add more to that because I agree that those two are the most surprising. Um I I guess I would add is that I'm interested to see how defenses can adjust if they can. Um one of the things that I like about Allen is the use of the crossing route is such a dangerous thing for him because yeah. you realize that the crossing route not only is it you know it's naturally a man beater but now instead of giving it to slower receivers and giving them advantage. You're giving them to fast receivers who now are like at a massive advantage running across the middle of the field. There's also multiple windows that he can consider as a result of the crossing route, more so than other routes. So, and you can run them at different levels, which creates binds against zone coverages. So even if he's not great against zone, well, that mitigates that route mitigates some of the issues with other routes where zone might be a little more problematic for him. So I think that that's a really good thing. And with Herbert, while I'm a little skeptical, I'm not skeptical about him per se. The ability is obviously there. I'm just skeptical about how I'm, I'm not as skeptical would be the right word. I'm interested to see whether the NFL will make that adjustment and whether it's, this is a one year thing or, or, and that he, you know, the defenses rebound against him. Um, and I think that he can overcome it for sure. But I'm interested to see about this development plan because um, I can see the possibilities of what you stated. I think it's a it's a great point. I just, you know, I want to see how it plays out. Right. That's kind of I also I think. think Pep Hamilton should get some head coaching looks. Mm. Shane Steach. I'm, I'm very curious if they fire Anthony Lynn, what direction they go in terms of the next head coach. Because Shade Steach and the offensive coordinator, Pep Hamilton, the quarterback's coach, they have obviously done some great work with Justin Herbert. Yeah. Do you make one of those two the head coach? And if so, is the other one going to stick around as offensive coordinator? Or are they going to say, look, it should have been me? I go somewhere. I'm, that's a situation that I'm very curious to see how that unfolds. Because we all can sort of assume, look, they don't know how to handle end of game, end of half situations. Like Anthony Lynn's days are numbered, I think. Yeah. Although maybe the win against the Raiders, they finish strong. Maybe he saves his job. Um, 
or do they go outside the building? And if so, if you're these two guys, like what? Yeah. What we've done. The whole plan is get somebody that can develop your own quarterback. We've done that. Make one of us the head coach. I'm very curious to see that situation, Matt. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point. I'll tell you what I also think is surprising, and maybe it shouldn't be because the NFL is a big business and they're going to do whatever it takes to continue on. But I was surprised that we finished the season and that the yeah. season went as smoothly as it did because without a bubble, with you know, with young players, with the you know, with the the way the NFL has often been slow to adapt to things, especially you know, when we talk about what they do on the field, off the field. Um, I was I was very pleasantly surprised and grateful as a as a business owner that the NFL was able to finish the season. I mean, that's where we're at. And barring yep. some crazy thing, which I don't think is even foreseeable, they they did it. So congratulations to the league um, and to its players more so for having the discipline to do things in an environment that was not as catered to for them as, say, baseball or basketball and had far more variables that they had to deal with. So, you know, the, you know they deserve they deserve a hearty congratulations for that. And Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I, I had my reservations. I had my doubts, um, but they they got it done, and thankfully they did. Yeah. Well, this is a this was a jam packed ninety six minutes of, of 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 stuff. I thoroughly enjoyed it because you know the only thing we needed was to be hanging out together and having a beer and eating some of Mark's fine food, probably. <laughs> you, you know that that he has. So we'll have to do that at some point, or maybe you know hopefully we'll we'll be at a point in the society where we can talk about paying each other a visit on a regular yeah. basis. Those, those of us that we, that we're friends with and care about and our loved ones and all of that. So we hope that you have a good time with the family that you're with um, during this holiday season. And, you know, Mark and I, maybe we'll be back for a playoff edition of this at the new year and, you know, and certainly Absolutely. doing a, doing some, and we'll get getting into high gear over the thing that we love very much doing, which is studying prospects. So, yeah, you know, you can follow Mark at Mark Schofield, me at Matt Waldman. And again, you know, if you're interested in the RSP, the discount's available through December 28th. And then you can get it at full price if those of you who are waiting and insisting that I that I, I don't sell it for enough money that you can pay for the full thing after that through April 1st, you know, to buy it in advance. And that's much appreciated. You guys take care.